we're in Romans chapter 3. So we've seen four sections describing the need for God's righteousness. Right? So we start out in chapter 1, the first half of it, kind of his introduction and the theme of the, of the, of the whole um, book of Romans. But then we have four weeks we've had of just like the need for God's righteousness. So the first one was in chapter 1, right? Um, the world suppresses the truth in their sin, right? Um, they hate God because they love their sin. That's what we see in the, the second half of chapter 1, verse 18 through 32. God's wrath was revealed against unrighteousness of those who have the truth in their sin. Chapter 2 we saw in verses 1 through 16, Gentiles are the non-Jews, right? Um, even Gentiles, unbelievers, know that there is some sort of law, right? Because if you ask any unbeliever, is it okay to eat a human child? They're going to say no, yes. probably, right? Most of them will say no. If they say yes, we say, okay, what about rape? And they're like, okay, well, no, that's not good, right? So they know that there's some good and bad. There's morally good things and morally bad things. Um, and so even those who say, heavens no, I wouldn't do anything bad, um, they still sin, right? Um, so God shows no partiality. So by their conscience, even unbelievers, Gentiles, know that there's a right and a wrong. And they do wrong, right? You know, if you ask an unbeliever, have you ever done anything wrong before? They would say, yes, right. I know I've done things that I know are right that I didn't do that were wrong. Chapter 2 ends with saying that there are Jews that were so prideful in their Jewishness that they're like, well, I'm just good. I'm righteous because I'm a Jew. And even Jewishness can't make you righteous, right? Um, uh, and their outward appearance can't save them if they still sin, right? Chapter 3 starts with, is God's judgment unrighteous then? Right? If you remember, there are some objections about God being righteous in his judgment. Um, but Paul shoots them down pretty quickly. So Paul quotes a bunch of Bible verses then that state that each person is very guilty. right? A bunch of Old Testament verses that say that there is no one righteous, no not one, no one except God, all those things. In verse 20, he ends by saying, Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Right. Why was the law written? So you can see that you're a sinner. Yeah, there were 613 commandments in the law, Old Testament law, and it, you can't keep them all. Right? There's no way to. And so it shows you that you're a sinner and that you need a savior, savior right? You have to have a savior because otherwise on your own you're not going to make it. Um, the law wasn't designed to be our savior. The one thing people look at to save them is following these rules, but we always fall short of those rules, so it can't save us. We said the law is like a mirror. It points out your sin, but it's like a mirror if you have a messy hair or whatever. If you're just like sitting there and you're just like, okay, cool, I'm going to look at the mirror and like, okay, cool. The mirror shows me where I'm, where I'm wrong. I don't use the mirror to fix my hair, right? You use something else to fix your hair. And so I don't know if I'm going to go get it back to normal hair. Is it good? Am yep. I good? Perfect. Awesome. All right. So, um, yeah, so we need to look outside of the law then to figure out how we're going to be made righteous. Um, we all do things even personally that we think is wrong. And the law shows us that we're wrong. No matter what, we're guilty. So we've had four weeks straight of looking at how bad the world is, how we all are accountable to God and we all fall short of his glory. And the one thing people look at to save them is following rules. But we all fall short of those rules. So today we're going to see righteousness comes apart from the law. Righteousness apart from the law. So in Romans 3, um, we're starting in verse 21. I'm going to read the passage and then we'll get into it today. So what it says in verse 21. 
But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness, because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No, by a law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since indeed God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith is one. Do we then nullify the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for um, this morning. We're able to come together and to study it. I pray that uh, as we go through it, that you would um, just be speaking to each one of us in our hearts and our minds, that we would be um, made more like you and have a, a desire to follow these things that we see in your word. Pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Okay, so what's something that um, someone has given to you that was like the coolest thing ever, right? That was given to you. Not, not necessarily like a gift, but like for other reasons, right? Um, like as an example, hi, howdy. Um, as an example, right, um, my great-grandfather was in the military and then was a firefighter for a long time. And after he passed away, I got to keep some of his firefighter patches from his years of service, right? And I was like, this is pretty cool, right? Like, I can't remember a firefighter patches that he was pretty well known in his little town that he was in, Oklahoma. Um, and so it was cool. And that's something that we've gotten from someone else that has a cool value. So what's something that you've gotten from someone else that was a cool value to you? Talk with that with a couple people around you for just a few minutes, right? And go. Okay, so come out together. Um, anybody have anything they want to share about something they were given? No, Owen? Yes. Um, whenever my grandfather passed away in 2020, I inherited his tie clips and his um, cufflinks. Tie clips and cufflinks, yeah. Those are pretty cool that your grandfather had that and stuff and then got it. Anyone else, anything? Yes. I got a hat. Nice. <laughs> uh, so I, I got it from my stepdad at the time. Uh, I, was at, I was at odds with the rest of my family because hmm. I, I dropped out of college. And I wasn't planning, or I had no plans of going back. Still don't. No. Uh, but, but he called me in the middle of the night and told, and told me that whatever decision I made or regarding my future, he would support me regardless of what the rest of my family did. Mm. And th then soon after, he gave me this hat. That's, that's cool. That's awesome. All right, one more. Uh, when my brother was a boy, he got some American flags flown by a pilot's over there, and it's like, it was super cool, it's like, this flag was flown in support of this mission, and my brother was the boy, he 
um, by like, this pilot from this squadron at this base on this day and time, and it's dedicated and it has my name on it. So it's that's really cool. That's cool. Yeah. So, <clears throat> thinking of those objects, right, that you have, could you boast in receiving those things? Right. No. Right. It's like okay, it was my my grandfather's cufflinks, right? I didn't I didn't buy them. You just I got them, right? Or this hat that someone got for you, or that, right? There's nothing you did for that. It was just a gift given to you, right, and stuff. And so, really, you boast in the person who gave you that object, right? I mean, we had a really cool story from Gideon's stepfather, right, about what had happened, both in that person, what he had done, right? My great-grandfather was a firefighter. I knew him for, like, 10 years of my life. And really, you don't know anything for the first, like, three years of your life. So really, I knew him for, like, seven years of my life, right? Um, yet, right, when we turn to salvation, sometimes we think we can boast in being a believer, right? We're like, oh, yeah, I'm saved because, yeah, I go to church. I do this thing. I go to this certain church. Therefore, I'm a better believer. And I think we just think of all those different things. But really, we did nothing to earn our salvation at all. And we can only boast in the person who gave it to us, right? Jesus Christ. So here's what Paul says about this in Galatians 6.14. He says, But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world, right? Salvation was earned uh, by Christ's blood. So our own boasting is gone. That's what we're going to see this morning, right? Um, so here's our outline this morning. It says, um, righteousness is revealed in this first half of it, basically. Um, and it comes through Christ's sacrifice, and we're declared righteous through that sacrifice. Um, and then we have boasting is excluded then. Um, and it's through faith, and that the law is upheld, even. So it's not that we boasting is excluded, and therefore there's no more law at all. It's kind of that last part of it. One of the things we're going to think about today is, what are our views on the laws of the Bible? Right. What are our views on the laws of the Bible? You can take your view of the law in a, in a few different ways, right? Um, you could say, I'm going to follow the laws and I get righteous. Or I don't care about the laws at all. Or somewhere in between, right? So we have, um, you can follow the law to be made righteous as, as a view. You say the law is done away with, never to be followed, forget the law. Nothing, nothing, there's no rules at all, right? Anarchy. Um, or you take it somewhere in between, right? try to figure out what, what it is there and stuff. So um, we're going to see more. Think about these things. We're going to see more as we get into this. So verse 21, right? Chapter 3, verse 21. It says, But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So remember, we just went through four grueling weeks of how terrible humanity is right? and how all are guilty, and that works can't save anyone, right? Because if we look at the law, none of us add up. If we look at our own conscience, we don't even add up to our own conscience, right? Our own conscience accuses us about things we've done wrong. Therefore, we have to look outside of the law, outside of the law, to be made righteous. And going back to the theme Romans, uh, the theme verses of Romans, bless you, um, we get to see how this righteousness comes to us, right? So Romans 1, 16, 17 say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. So the good news is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. So apart from the law, where do you think righteousness is going to come from? Faith, right? It's manifested, revealed through faith. 
So it says in verse 21, right? It was manifested by the law and the prophets. So what, even the Old Testament talks about salvation through faith, right? Yeah, look, it says in verse 21. Or verse, uh, keep going, right? But now, apart from the law of righteousness of God has been manifested, been revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all, for all those who believe. So the law and the prophets even discuss the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Uh, chapter 4, and next week we're going to start discussing Abraham and David being um, declared righteous through faith. And how that was in the Old Testament, right? Before Jesus came and died for sins and all that. Um, Acts 10.43 says, Of him, of Christ, right? Um, all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins. So it says, even the prophets say that through Christ, through the Messiah, right? The anointed one, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. So I grew up thinking, maybe you all did too that people in the Old Testament were saved by making the sacrifices. Anyone else think that growing up? Right? Okay, cool. A few of us. Because um, you're like, well, why are sacrifices there? Right? It must be to be salvation. Right? And then Christ sacrificed for us now. So salvation, that's what, we also always, that's what I always thought. But actually, right, the righteousness of God comes to us has always been by faith. Right? We have in Genesis 15, 6, we see Abraham, right? Abraham says he believed in the Lord and he reckoned to it at him as righteousness. He believed in the Lord and he was credited to him as righteousness. So we're looking at how we get righteousness. Well, he just credited it, reckoned it to his account, to Abraham's account as righteousness when he believed in God. Right? Now, Isaiah 53, we have, um, whoop, there it is. Um, we have, as a result of the anguish of his soul, we, he will see and be satisfied. By his knowledge of the righteous one, my servant will justify the many, as he will bear their iniquities. All right, who's the capital H, he, in this? Jesus, right? It's pretty clear, right? As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see and be satisfied. By his knowledge of the righteous one, my servant will justify the many, and he will bear their iniquities. So the Messiah, the servant, by him, the many are justified. Right? To be justified means to be declared as righteous. Right? Justified means to be declared as righteous. So before God, you're seen as righteous. Then, Righteousness always come by faith in the Messiah. First of all, they knew that um, the seed of woman would crush the head of the serpent. Right, All the way back in Genesis, they said, okay, here's the curse. But here's the hope, right? The seed of woman will crush the head of the serpent. He will bruise his heel. He will crush the serpent's head. So that curse would be done away with. And we know that from Abraham, the whole world will be blessed. And then through Isaac and Jacob, then through Jacob's 12 sons, we have the 12 tribes of Israel, Judah was promised to have the king, right? To, to rule forever. And to be ascendant of, eventually, King David. Right? King David would have a descendant that would rule forever and ever and ever. All the while, this whole... See that we're seeing through prophets like Isaiah are talking about verses like this. Right? They're saying uh, the Messiah's payment will be for sin. Right? It will justify the many people who become righteous through the servant's sacrifice. Righteousness has finally been revealed after four weeks in Romans. We finally see righteousness revealed. And it doesn't come through us. It's through faith. Right? It doesn't come through our works. It's through faith. Old Testament, it's been that way. New Testament, it's still that way. 
Salvation comes through faith. Look at verse 22. So, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there's no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. So there is no distinction, he says, followed by two things. One, all sin and fall short. Right? There's no distinction. All of sin and fall short. We saw that pretty clearly the last four weeks. Everyone in some way has sinned. Right? Even if we have different degrees of sins, like, yeah, it's just gossip. Gossip is sin, right? Like I'm not a murderer, but gossip is still sin, right? Um and we see from Christ's words that if we sin in our heart, well then we've sinned, right? He looks at the inside, not just the outside appearance. So all have sinned, and then they're all justified by one thing. A gift of God's grace through Jesus Christ's redemption. Because the law isn't cutting it. Right? The law in our hearts, our conscience isn't cutting it. We go against our conscience. Therefore, there's no distinction. Right? No matter who you are, all of them fall short. And they're only justified by faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only way justification comes. This wording sounds familiar to Ephesians 2.8. Kind of. For by grace you have been saved through faith. We have this kind of idea of um, being justified as a gift by his grace through redemption, which is in Christ Jesus. So by grace. So for by grace you've been saved through faith. It's all an act of God's grace that we're able to be saved. We don't deserve salvation. In fact, we all fall short of that thing. So Romans 23 is this famous verse that you see in the Romans road people use, right? It's... um. It's, it's this verse, there's all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And that's normally used to describe what to someone? That everyone's a sinner. Everyone's a sinner and they suck, right? Like you don't add up. You don't measure up. In fact, people even say, like, okay, here's Mother Teresa and here's Hitler. Where do you stand? People are like, a little bit closer to Mother Teresa. Right? I don't want to say I'm closer to Hitler than Mother Teresa, right? So they're like, but then Mother Teresa was a sinner, right? And so she didn't even add up to perfection. And so how could we even get close to that? Right. Um, and so we see that this is talking about sin uh, for all the sinful for the glory of God, but really it's wrapped in this hope of righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's wrapped up in righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. No distinction. All the sinful for the glory of God, but they're only justified as a gift by His grace through redemption in Christ Jesus. Right. So this hopelessness verse is wrapped in all the hope that we have in Christ of eternal life. Okay, so, through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, Paul is about to continue explaining this redemption. The word redemption means to buy back, to redeem, right? If you're like me, all the time you ever see the word redeem is when you get an iTunes gift card. To so go to the bottom of the iTunes page and go redeem a gift card, right? Um, but the root word of this is to ransom, Right? Like it was a ransom money to buy back someone, right? It's the root word of this, of this Greek word. So how did Jesus redeem us? Look at verse 25. Jesus Christ, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over sins previously committed. Jesus was displayed publicly as a propitiation. What's propitiation mean? Satisfactory payment or payment in full. Right. They didn't have that in their Bibles, the propitiation. Verse 25. Keep up the time. Propitiation. I'm seeing them in the knee, right? Um, propitiation, right? Atoning sacrifice, right? Same idea, the sacrifice of your payment, payment in full, right? So 
Jesus then, it says, was publicly displayed as a satisfactory payment, a payment in full, in his blood through faith. So the flow here, right? Um, in Greek, the word order is a little different at the end than what we see here. So here's kind of what we see. We see God publicly displayed Jesus as a satisfactory payment through faith in his blood. You might have a little bit different order in your Bibles, but in the original Greek, this is the order that we see. Um, they try to make it look a little bit cleaner in the English when they, when they translate it over. Um, so God publicly displayed Jesus as a satisfactory payment through faith in his blood. Through faith in his blood is the Greek order, not in his blood through faith. That just makes, I think that makes it a little clearer that we are looking at that we get this through the faith in his blood, right? What is, what is in his blood a euphemism of? Death, right? Like through his blood, through faith in his blood, his death, right? His sacrifice on the cross was a satisfactory payment. And this, it says, was to demonstrate God's righteousness because God passed over the sins we previously committed. Forbearance of God. You don't have a different word than forbearance of God here. Restraint, right? A little bit more 21st century, right? Restraint of God. He passed over sins previously committed. Is God just? Yes. So, God had to be just in his dealing with sin. We're sinners. He has to deal with it in a just way. What is the, the, the consequence of sin? Death, right? So, he had to punish it somehow, but if we got the consequence for our sin and ourselves, we're never going to be with Christ, never going to be with God, never going to heaven, never going to be in the kingdom, nothing, right? Because we've sinned. All of sin falls short of the glory of God. So, Jesus Christ is where the wrath of God against unrighteousness was poured out. Remember back in chapter 1, right? The wrath of God is revealed against all unrighteousness in verse 18. It was poured out on Christ through his blood. Therefore, he's still able to be perfectly righteous while forgiving us. Because the wrath was satisfied in Christ. He's able to be righteous in punishing sin and still forgive us and allow us to be with him. The whole time before Jesus, right? So timeline-wise, you have OT, Old Testament, right? Um, so just like Adam and Eve all the way to actually Acts, but... We're not getting to that today, right? <laughs> Basically, right, like the New Testament, the church starts not with Matthew, because like the church hasn't even started yet, New Testament, all that stuff. The law still in effect at that point and everything. But anyways, Old Testament, <clears throat> then you have Christ come, die, and rise again. Um, and then you have like the church age and the New Testament, basically. Well, how were they saved in the Old Testament? By faith. By faith in the coming Messiah. The coming Messiah, right? How are we saved now? By faith in the Messiah, right? Christ, the anointed one, the Christ was. Jesus, the anointed one, Jesus Christ, right? It wasn't like it was Mary Christ and Joseph Christ and Jesus Christ, right? No, it's like Jesus, the anointed one, Yeshua, the anointed one. So this whole time before Jesus, had God paid for all these sins? Like, people sinned, where did that punishment go? Jesus, Yeah, but... In our timeline, it hadn't happened yet. It's almost like God restrained himself from punishing these people for their sins until the blood of Jesus Christ. 
Do we see how this verse is talking about that, right? So this demonstrates his righteousness because in the forbearance and the restraint of God, he passed over sins previously committed. And here's where they were, the wrath was poured out. Here's kind of how, here's kind of how I look at this. I think it makes more sense, a metaphor to look at it. So the whole time he had double sins fully, he passed over them, looking to the day when they'd be paid in Jesus. Here's how I look at it. In the Old Testament, all of the faith was put on a credit card. Wait, I, have a, I don't have a slide here, actually. I don't have to write it. Writing hurts my hand. Um, Old Testament, credit card faith, right? You're putting all of your faith on a future Messiah who's going to pay for your sins. Like, I believe in the Messiah who's going to justify me, declare me righteous, right? And then Jesus Christ came and he paid all of that debt, right? All of the credit card debt off, right? So the zero. But not only did he just make it zero, he made it a debit card, right? I'm going to try to write a little debit card, right? Jesus. Um, and the balance on it is infinite. And so now we place our faith on the debit card, which has an infinite value that we're, it's, it's already paid for. It's paid in full, grace abounds. Or sin abounds, and grace abounds all the more. Right? So Old Testament put their faith on Christ. It was paid for. The credit card was paid for. He put an infinite balance in there. Now we're looking back to Christ, and he's already paid for those sins. Right? It's infinite balance. We place our faith in him. That's where that goes. Right? Does that make sense? Jesus. Um, um, so, Christ's redemption comes to demonstrate God's righteousness because now he's dealt with sin. Right? This whole time, they're looking forward to him dealing with sin, and then he did it in Christ. That's the pinnacle of all history, really. Right? The pinnacle of anything that's ever happened is Christ coming, God taking on flesh, living a perfect life, and dying to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. So through his redemption comes God's righteousness. It's demonstrated, right? It demonstrates God's righteousness because now he's actually dealt with sin. God has seen his righteous because now he is just. His just, I mean, he always was just, but this demonstrates he's righteous and he is just. That's why it says um, on here, it says that uh, verse 26, it says, um, for the demonstration of, I say, for righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So he's able to be just because he punished sins, and he's able to be justifier because he's able to declare those righteous who have faith. He's just because he's paid for sin. He is the justifier by declaring us righteous, those who have faith. So that concludes the first half of today's passage covering the righteousness apart from law. Any questions before we go to the second half? Okay. So, second half. Looking at here is boasting excluded. Right? This is kind of the 27 through 31 that we have here. <clears throat> Verse 27. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No, but by a law of faith. There is no boasting about the law because then you could boast, right? If you could actually follow these rules and get eternal life, get salvation, be declared righteous, well, then there wouldn't be boasting. Instead, there's no boasting because it's only by faith. 
We see this Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, right? The one we quote all the time. For by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. There's no boasting at all. We cannot boast because we're not saved by our works, but by Christ's work. He did the work at a certain moment in time, and we place our faith on him to give us eternal life. Just like you don't boast in the person who gave you that gift, gave you that, well, sorry, you don't boast in yourself for that gift someone gave you, that thing someone gave you. You're like, hey, this person's really cool. They gave me this thing. And the same with salvation. We're like, Christ, he's a really cool dude, right? Look what he gave me. I can't boast in it. I boast in him for what he's done. We can't boast. It's not our works. Or we, we did. It was Christ's sacrifice. Because in verse 28, we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So apart from works of the law, that's where we are justified. That's where we're declared righteous. I want to uh, mention real quick. This could be either the law, capital L, or law, lowercase l. It isn't in the Greek. They don't say like the law whenever they put this in, uh, whenever he wrote this. And so it's talking about like either the Mosaic law or just a type of law that you're trying to follow to become righteous. So people think uh, that they're saved by just being a good person, by going to church, and by like, I don't know, not putting people off when they're driving. Right? Like those things are like, hey, cool. If I do those two things, then I'm good, right? That's your own law you made up to be righteous. And that's not what we see in the world or in, in scripture, right? Either way, following rules won't save you. No matter where they come from. I think he's talking about the, the Mosaic Law primarily because probably any law that you make up is going to fall under the Mosaic Law. There's 613 commands, so probably going to be in there somewhere. So the Jews rely heavily on the law. But righteousness comes apart from the law through faith in Jesus Christ because you're going to fall short of the law. Verse 29. Or is God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since indeed, God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised by faith is one. Can righteousness come from anywhere else but God? No, right? Because every single person is unrighteous. Can there be another God who justifies the Jews and another God who justifies the Gentiles? No, right? There's one God. If there is one, then there is one. That's the truth. Then the way he justifies people is how he justifies people. Right? That's it. Both Jews and Gentiles are declared righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. It's not, well, if Jews follow the law to the best of their ability, then they're saved. But if Gentiles have faith, then they're saved. It's like, no, you're saved through one way. In fact, Acts 4.12 says, And there is salvation in no one else. So there's no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. What is that name? Jesus, Jesus Christ, right? Through Jesus is how we're saved. There's no way anyone can be made righteous except by the way that God has made. The same God has the same path for salvation for every person. You know the um, the that talks about how there's um, there's the the narrow road, right? And there's the wide road, and the narrow road leads to like eternal life, basically. But the other doesn't. That's because there's only one way, right? It's Jesus Christ. People try so many different ways to have righteousness, to be saved. This religion said, oh, all religions really lead back to the same thing. No, there's one name under heaven, Jesus Christ, where I'll be saved. People say, well, if I live good enough, then I'll be... No, right? It's through Jesus. That's the only way to salvation. So with this, a question is raised. So with all this he's talked about, he's pretty strong on what he's saying. Question is raised. What's the reason for the law? 
it doesn't justify you, what good is it? Right? Should it be done away with? Remember, here there's three views from the beginning. Follow the law to be made righteous. Um, you should be doing away with the law and be followed or somewhere in between. Um, we've established pretty firmly that first one ain't going to cut it, right? You can't follow the law to be made righteous because you won't add up. So the logical question is, should the law be done away with? And if not, what's the balance? Right, so look at verse 31. Do we then nullify the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. So now we don't nullify the law, so it's not done away with. That means we're somewhere in between, right? Somewhere in between, or it's another purpose, something different than what we see between those three choices. So what is the, it says we establish the law. So what does that mean? What's the purpose of the law? Show us our sin and needed for a savior. The law shows us God's righteousness fully, right? He said, here's my standard, right? Here's my standard of righteousness. And it shows we can never attain it on our own. Show us our sin, our need for a savior. Jesus says on a sermon on the mount, <clears throat> right before saying that your righteousness must be better than the scribes and the Pharisees, he says this. Do not think that I came to abolish the law of the prophets. I did not come to abolish but to fulfill the law of the prophets. And then he goes on this whole spiel, right, his speech, his sermon of, you've heard it said not to murder. I say if you hate someone, you've murdered them. Right? You say don't commit adultery. I say if you lust for someone, you've committed adultery in your heart. God's standard of righteousness is higher than what the people at that time thought. Right? They're like, well, as long as I don't actually do it, well, then I'm good. Right? He says, no, if you even think about it, right, you're dwelling on it, well, then you've already done it in your heart. Right? His standard of righteousness is higher than people thought at that time. So Christ came and established the law by, well, it shows us our need for a Savior. He is that Savior. He paid for sin, and he made it, made it possible to declare us righteous. We establish the law and place our faith in Jesus Christ. We say, he's righteous, I'm not. Right? That Savior the law is pointing to, that's him. And I, the law shows me I'm unrighteous. Only way that we can be established, the law is established by saying, I believe in him to make me righteous. Our standard of the law then is not lowered. Any other way to try to make the law justify you is lowering the standard of the law. Like, yeah, but I mean, okay, as long as you follow most of it, then you're good. But the law is a law, right? Like Christ, God is just. He has to punish sin. And so by us saying he's righteous, Jesus Christ is righteous, and I'm not, I'm trusting him to give me eternal life, to make me righteous, then we establish the law. We don't lower the standard of righteousness. We say that he is that standard. Does that make sense? Last verse? Okay. So the law isn't done away with, right? It's fulfilled. We can still learn from the law in the Old Testament. Um, we can learn about God's character. We can learn about sanctification, right? how to be made more like Christ in our Christian walk. Um, all scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for correction, for reproof, for training in righteousness so that we can better serve God. And it's all, uh, it's all apart from the law for salvation, though, right? The law shows us our sin, and we can't be made righteous by something that shows our downfall. That doesn't make sense logically, right? So instead, apart from the law, we're made righteous by Christ's sacrifice. And God is able to be just by paying for sin and to be the justifier by declaring us righteous. Since all on God, then, we have no room to boast. That's why it goes straight into no room for boasting. We're only saved by faith in God. 
But it doesn't mean the law is done away with. It means we establish the law. We're not under it, though. We no longer follow the Old Testament law. We're no longer under those 613 commandments. Romans 6.14, I don't think I have it on here. Well, hey, there's this, though. Um, Romans 6.14 says we're not under law, but under grace. Right? We're no longer under law, we're under grace. But then it goes on and says, should we then sin because grace abounds? And what's the answer? Certainly. No. Hex of the no, right? Certainly not. So, we're going to get into that with Romans 6 later on. But Okay, let's get to the application. First of all, don't look to works to save you. Anything you've learned in the past five weeks being here, don't look to works to save you. Right? Look instead to Jesus Christ. Through his death, we can be made righteous. So place your faith in him, and that's the path where we get God's righteousness. This is, this is really like the first half almost of Romans is talking about like, here's God's righteousness revealed through this. Here's why we need it in the first few chapters, and then here's it revealed, and here's like qualifiers for that. So like next week we're in chapter four. It's like even Old Testament, Abraham and David, we see uh, faith in Christ. Not through works. Secondly, don't boast in your own doing, but boast in Christ. We have no part in our salvation. We just trust Christ to save us. Right? So don't boast in our own doing. Right? Boast in Christ. And this is one that comes along that logically follows and logically makes sense. Don't look to other works to see if they're saved. If we're not looking to our works to see if we're saved, we're looking to Christ. Don't look to their works to see if they're saved either. It's by faith in Jesus, not by works, that salvation comes. We can never fully know. If so What's the closest we can get to knowing if someone's saved? They say it. They say it. They're like, yes, I believe in Jesus for eternal life, right? And then you're like, okay, cool. I hope you're not lying, right? <laughs> Basically. God knows and they know. That's, that's who they're going to know. We can't know if someone's saved. Now, we can know if they're growing as a believer or if they're not growing as a believer, right? even talks about Paul writes to the Corinthian church and says, y'all look like unbelievers. Right? And the way that you're acting, you're an unbeliever. And so we can't say, well, they're not a believer because they're not working. They're not doing the good works. Because salvation doesn't come through works. It comes through faith in Christ. Right? Okay. We have about seven or eight minutes before we get into discussion. Any questions? Yes, sir. So Jesus took the payment for all the sin. Uh-huh. So why are people in the Old and New Testaments still punished for sin in ways that is if Jesus didn't do it? My mind goes to two places. Like, in Acts, Ananias and Sapphira mm -hmm. lied, and they got killed. It doesn't seem like, based on this lesson, it doesn't seem like that should happen, because Christ took the payment. Mm -hmm. Also, I think about, like, King David at the end of his life. After he'd already repented from mm -hmm. all his sin, God is like, hey, I'm going to punish you in Israel because of your sin. Mm -hmm. For either three months, three weeks, or three days, your choice. Um, and that, I don't know, that doesn't seem to fit with what we talked about today. Yeah, good question. So, hope everyone doesn't need this on the board anymore. <laughs> um, so, what in the world? We have um, two types of like punishment. Right? What we see in the Bible and in the world too, right? Yeah. We have eternal 
which means you are separated eternally. Separate from God for eternity because you are a sinner, right? Like because of your sin, you're separated from God for eternity. Um, you can't be righteous, but we know that all righteousness comes through Christ, right? We receive his righteousness whenever we believe in him. So that's taken care of by Jesus, right? Uh, and then we have temporal punishment. We have, on this earth, people are still punished for sin. It says that um, God, like a father, right, chastens those he loves, scourges those he loves, right? He, he disciplines those whom he loves. And so he wouldn't be a loving father if we're living in sin, doing terrible things, and he's like, well, I mean, it's faith or so, whatever kind of thing, right? Like, if we're actively killing people, he's going to want to stop us. If we're actively doing something harmful to ourselves or to those around us, living in sin, then he's going to correct us right it's for a purpose of correcting us back on track now in some of those instances right what we see like in essence of fire um and they were basically the, the context is everyone was giving everything for the church and they're like yay cool this is awesome and so in that fire they together husband and wife sell a piece of land and they go in front of the the church like peter right and like the leader of the church and it's like all right here's all the money from the land and then peter's like why do you lie like, literally, this is not all the money. You kept some back. You and your wife conspired to keep some of the money back, even though you're saying you're giving it all. And I was like, <gasps> died, right? Right then. And then his wife didn't know about this. So the wife comes in later, and Peter's like, is that all the money from the land? She's like, yes, sir, it is. He's like, you're going to die in the same spot your husband did, right? Because you're lying to God, to the Holy Spirit. You're saying these things, you're not doing them. Now, did they go to heaven? Yeah, right. They're believers. They went to heaven, right? And so that is never affected what we do. But God does punish us here on earth for things, right? Believers can do things that are bad. We can still get punished on earth, but it's never going to affect our eternal destination. In fact, I think some believers get so bad. He's like, <laughs> "You come with me, right? Like you're going to be up here. Right? Like this is enough of that." So yeah, does that make does that answer your question? Okay. Just to see if I. Phrasing it right, I'm afraid I'm check out the dictionary. Right? You're talking about the law and how establishing the law. It's like so the law showed us the need for the Savior. We place our faith in Christ. We establish the law's purpose. The law's purpose, yes. Um, and it, we show that, like, yeah, the law's purpose shows our sin. We recognize I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner, right? And I need a Savior. And so by doing that, we establish that the law is correct, and only by Christ can we get uh, righteousness. Anything else, sir? Um, when it says for application number three, don't let others work, see if they are saved. I hear a lot. Uh, maybe I hopefully I'm not butchering this verse, but uh, I definitely am. Uh, <laughs> That's right. You can you can people go. You can see if someone's saved based off the fruits that they produce. Mm. I don't know what verse specifically that was. I'm trying to find it. it. Yeah, so it's Matthew 7. Um, so can you like break down yeah. what that verse is talking about and how that would apply? To yeah. So Matthew 7 talks about how um, you'll know them by their fruits, right, what it says. Um, if you look right above that, it's talking about false prophets. There are people who will come in with uh, the wolves in sheep's clothing and they'll be coming in, they'll be doing all these things, and they're prophesying, so to speak, right? Um, but it says you will know them by their fruits. And actually, I don't even think it talks about eternal life salvation in that little area, right, at all. And so, um, what is the fruit of a prophet? Their message. The prophecy, right? 
Like if I'm like, hey guys, it's gonna rain for 12 hours tomorrow and not any more, not any less, and it doesn't happen, well then my fruit was bad, right? It was rotten fruit, it didn't actually make sense. And so, um, yeah, so you know them by their fruits, you will know if someone's a false prophet, what they say doesn't come true, basically. So in that instance, in that verse, he's really talking about false prophecy, not even talking about just believers in general, right? People also will turn to James 2, right? Faith without works is dead, right, in that verse and stuff. Um, if you're looking at it, it's the same word is used, faith without works is useless. And he says, okay, you can go and you can um, tell someone, hey, be warm and be filled, right? If it's cold outside and they're hungry, be warm and be filled. You don't do anything. Well, it's useless. You've been given faith for a purpose, so live it out. Right? Um, it's just like a body without a spirit is dead. Faith without works is dead. If there's a body in here and no spirit, what do we have in this room? A dead body. There's still a body, right? But there's still faith, even if there's no works. If you have a car that doesn't have a battery in it, right? It doesn't work. It's useless. But you still have a car, right? You still have the faith um, there. And so those, those are the main two verses people go to, to to say, like, but you can see people if they're a believer or not by this. But really, it's just faith in Christ, not by works. So. Okay. These are questions I think that would be good to just might have a couple minutes to do in here. But... Um, to think about yourself, right? So if the commands in the Testament are not meant to justify us, then what are they meant to do? Right? And what's a proper view of New Testament commands? And then, do you enjoy studying Old Testament law? And how can the study of it be closer to God? So next semester, we're going to start an in-depth study of Leviticus. <laughs> no. Actually, we've done that like three weeks so far in our Tuesday night study. So, um, Okay, so just real quick, then just a couple minutes. I'm just discussing.